Five years ago this month, I was having a hard time getting out of bed. I had spent months applying and interviewing at hospitals from here to Baltimore in hopes of becoming a hospital chaplain. One by one, the rejection letters rolled in, or the programs folded, or I withdrew applications when I decided I didn't want to leave Boston. On and on until all the options were exhausted. The transition I was going through after seminary, which had already been difficult, became almost unbearable. It felt like there was no way forward. Like my call to ministry was ringing hollow and mocking in my ears. Then my grandfather died and I had adored him and the grief set in. And I entered one of the most painful and prolonged periods of depression I've ever known. I've lived with depression for most of my life. Much of the time I cope pretty effectively with the symptoms. Not then. I remember lying on the couch and looking vacantly across the room at my partner, now my spouse. And though my eyes were open, I couldn't really see. I couldn't make out my partner's playfulness when she laughed, nor the care in her eyes as she pleaded with me to get up and go for a walk. I felt nothing. Maybe you know personally or from your family what depression is like. I can only speak for my own experience. Depression isn't so much a bout of sadness as it is a swallowing numbness. It's this haze that sets in, making it hard to see. The world appears different. You feel not at all at home. Aimless, lost, coming up empty, grieving the loss of joy and inner tranquility. And at least in my experience, while there are some medications that help and some behavioral strategies that can ease depressive symptoms, there are no quick fixes. You can't just snap out of it. In times of depression, the energy-sapping haze of despair becomes the realest thing, more real even than a future with hope. And yet, that is God's promise, a future with hope to us and to the people of Israel who are despairing in their own right in today's reading from Jeremiah. Starting around the year 597 and including in the year 586 BCE, so roughly 586 years before the birth of Jesus, the Babylonian army besieged Israel and razed it to the ground. The people of Israel looked on in horror as the temple of the Most High burned, as invading soldiers tore apart the place where God was said to dwell. 
The Babylonians then deported many Israelites, especially people of power and rank, their leaders, nearly 900 miles away to the capital city of Babylon. It is to these exiles in Babylon that Jeremiah writes, while he is still living among the poor people who were left behind, remaining in the ruins of Jerusalem. Now, I've never known war or deportation, though I can imagine that these exiles felt something not entirely unlike the numbness, the lostness, the world-shattering despair that I have known, and maybe some of you have known, in times of depression, times of grief. We can infer that in this time of catastrophic loss and withering psychic pain, the Israelites likely found their belief in the Lord turning <coughs> to doubt. Their trust in God as their stronghold and sure defense buckling under the weight of it all. Uprooted from all that they had known, the exiles may have been seeking a quick fix. Jeremiah knows this, and he warns them against glomming on to the predictions of the so-called prophets among them. These prophets and diviners are deceiving the people, Jeremiah says. They advise the exiles not to put down roots because their displacement will only be temporary. It'll be over in a year or two. But Jeremiah insists that this exile is going to last 70 years. Back then, 70 years was a lifetime, and then some. There are no quick fixes. And that's why Jeremiah encourages the exiles to pick up the pieces of their lives and start living again. Don't bank on a swift return to your native land, he says. Instead, make a life right where you are. Build houses, plant gardens, get married, have children. Don't pine after a city still smoldering from siege. Instead, seek the welfare of the city you do live in. Pray to God on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your own welfare. That stuff is all well and good. And there's definitely something to be said for a return to normalcy in times of grief and depression. Useful distractions can clear the haze for a few moments, maybe a few minutes, maybe a few hours even, so that we get a reprieve, however brief, from the weight of our pain. But then I think about how immobile I was on that couch five years ago. And I think about how little pleasure I took in any daily activity. When we are in despair, we can have to wonder, what can possibly move us to take that first step? to ease back into those everyday routines that Jeremiah counsels. What does it take to break through that inertia? What does it take to start living again? 
Jeremiah offers to his people these, God's words of consolation. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm. To give you a hope and a future. That, that's a big promise right there. A future with hope. It may be a little hard to swallow when you're not at home in yourself. A little hard to swallow when you're unable to make out a future at all. When your eyes are open but you can't really see what's right in front of you, much less what lies ahead. God knows this, I think. Knows that we can be too numb for hope, too filled with pain to make any space for promise. Hear then God's assurance to us through Jeremiah. When you search for me, you will find me. And if you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. Every week, as part of our welcome statement here, we extend a particular welcome to seekers and searchers, as well as to believers and questioners. And these are not discreet and unchanging classes of people. They are us. And we, on any given day, can be either seekers or searchers, believers or questioners, or a little bit of each. I suspect that many of us have days here and there when we really can believe in God's promises of hope and new life. On those days when it's relatively easy to trust, we may find that the words we recited today from Psalm 63 become our own. I seek you, God. My soul thirsts for you. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. On those days, we may not feel God's presence as much as we'd like to. But we do trust that God is there somewhere, and that we can come together to seek and to thirst for a more vivid encounter with the Holy One. But I also suspect that each of us has days, and maybe more days than not, when our minds churn and our hearts overflow with doubt. On those days when the promises of our faith grow dim and we find it hard to trust in anyone or anything, we may feel only void and absence. On our more doubting days, we may come into community, whether it's here or with friends or in other groups we're a part of, less seeking after something we trust is there than searching, fumbling. Unsure we'll find any relief, any peace, any hope at all. When we are depressed or grieving, we are in an in-between place. We may be between jobs, between relationships, between life before and after a death, 
between old stories that no longer speak to who we are and new stories we can't yet imagine. It aches to be in this void, searching and grasping and coming up empty. And yet God promises us, and this is the good news, friends, God promises us that God will not hide from us in that in-between place. God's spirit hovers over the deep, longing to be found. And what is the spiritual search engine that connects us to God? What is it that teaches our eyes to see again the blessing in the pain? What is it that thins out the haze so we can finally see a future with hope? For me, and maybe for you, it is community that has brought me home in my searching. Five years ago, I did not get off that couch by my own power alone. I got the help of a trained therapist whom I trusted. That was important and necessary, but on its own it wasn't enough. On the lark, I also signed up to live with five other 20-somethings in an intentional community house. So I cooked meals and did chores and managed finances. I learned how to host a meal on a shoestring, how to organize a group around a shared purpose, how to chant and pray without words. In short, I sought the welfare of the community and in its welfare, I found my own. It happened slowly though, gradually, like a dawning. In gatherings over soup and silly puns, in skill sharing and deep listening, I could finally catch a glimpse of the new life and love that had been surrounding me all the while. For the first time in what felt like forever, my famished soul was satisfied as with a feast, and I could trust again in a God who dreamt for me a future with hope. Whether you come today knowing grief or mental illness or addiction, whether you come seeking a love that you already trust is there or searching for hope you doubt you'll find, whether you feel like you are at home here already or are wondering if you'll ever feel that way, however you are coming into this community today, know that you are welcome here just the way you are, in all your in-betweenness, all your uncertainty. Here, here, we believe for and in one another when it gets tough to believe. We plant and sow and cook lots of meals and pray, do a lot of cleaning and have weddings and we seek the welfare of our community. And amid all that busyness, by that often gradual and sometimes messy and always holy process, 
we learn to see anew the God who is always longing to be found, always yearning to lead us home, always dreaming of a hope-filled future. It takes courage to join together with our fellow seekers. It takes even more courage to form a search party, fumbling, grasping, feeling our way forward together when our confidence is shaken. God promises that we will not come up empty forever, friends. Whatever haze clouds our vision in time will live, and we will see hope in the eyes of our fellow seekers and searchers, our fellow believers and questioners. And it will remind us that hope, not despair, is the realest thing. <laughs>